welcome to this special episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and in this bonus Mother's Day episode, I sit down for a conversation with my 18-year-old daughter, Grace Kingsley Miller. We have a candid conversation about what happened to our family as we evolved from a conservative Christian family to opening our hearts and minds to stories and voices from the margins that completely shifted our faith in politics. Grace shares her story of growing up in the Bible Belt and being immersed in the white evangelical conservative church and purity culture. She talks about the damaging effects purity culture had on her and the messages she got about what it meant to be a female in the conservative church. But perhaps what's most impactful is Grace shares about the people and stories she encountered along the way that started to change everything for her and our family. Grace's faith and political beliefs started a profound shift as she met real people on the margins and she started to question all she had been taught to believe in the church. As Grace began to question and search for who Jesus really is and what it really means to love your neighbor, her shifting faith had a profound effect on what her parents had always taught her to be true. Often daughters share about the impact their mothers have made in their lives. But as you will hear in this episode, in just 18 years of life, Grace has made a bigger impact on my faith and beliefs than I ever will on hers. Listen in on this candid, unedited mother-daughter conversation. Okay, Grace Miller, here we go. Hi. Like I said, <laughs> I am like more nervous about this interview than <laughs> any others. Maybe because like, I don't know. I know your story and I also know the role that mothers play <laughs> in stories. And I know I haven't uh, always done things right with <laughs> being your mom in this story. But anyway, Grace, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So we've been talking a little bit about having you on. We actually yeah. talked about it last year after I did the interview with Emily Joy and talked about purity culture and church stuff started coming up. Um, but then we kind of decided to wait to do the interview, which I'm glad we did because you weren't comfortable at the time. And now you're actually an officially an adult. (laughs) You're 18. So I think we've both had time to process even more. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Just faith journey, faith shift, political shift, answer the question, what, what happened to our family, all of that. So before we do grace, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are in your day to day life, all of that sort of fun stuff? Um, my name is grace. I'm 18. I live in Kansas city, Kansas city area. Um, I'm just about to finish my freshman year of college. Um, planning on attending KU next year. I'm going to major in political science and, uh, yeah, I mean, not much is going on right now with the pandemic, but just schoolwork and yeah. And the pandemic out. really shifted your plans. Of, yeah. <laughs> you graduated early. We're going to have a gap year yeah. of travel, but instead you got to live at home and go to community yes. college. So that's okay. We've become even closer <laughs> this year and yes. got to spend a lot more time with each other and we're each other's um, main source of human interaction. Yes. Sometimes <laughs> feel. So, but that's what we're going to talk about some today because Mother's Day coming up, oftentimes the topic is like the difference your mom made in your life, which I'm sure you could talk yes, about too. Of but course. but I think an even bigger impact is the the role that you played in shifting the faith and perspective of me and your dad's faith and politics and theology and all of that because you have just been somebody that is so wide open to what it really means to love like Jesus and to 
just speak out and reach out to the least of these and those on the margins. So that's what we're going to talk about today because you have played a key role in shifting me and your dad's yeah. faith and theology. So where do we want to start? We talked about, do we start in your childhood? But that's kind of like... Well, I'm 18, so right. I don't have, I, and, we're still there. And I think your childhood was kind of a whole other show topic because yeah. you were, you did not have a, your, your childhood is a little complicated because yeah. your dad was an alcoholic, your mom had an eating disorder, your parents slept in separate bedrooms. Yeah. So that's you, a whole other as, that is another podcast <laughs> and another topic for a therapist to dive into <laughs> with you. Um, because I know that did harm and caused I don't know. It, it's probably led you to need a few therapy sessions. So we're going to skip over that to focus on our time in the Bible Belt when yes. our theology, our eyes became open during that span. We moved there when you were 12. Is that right? I was 10. Yeah. Oh, 10. Okay, I was I'm, 10. It was eight years ago. Good golly. I'm yes. to edit that out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Woo, so this is still your child. Yeah. Okay. You were 10 and you lived there until you were 17. Yeah. So seven years, very like prime developmental years of my life. Yeah. Um, and so we moved from West Des Moines to the Bible Bell. And I remember even at that time thinking like, oh good, we're going to raise her like in just this hardcore yes. you know, Christian environment. We can say Christmas at school. We can <laughs> just all of these things that's, yeah. that we thought were going to be so great in the Bible yeah. Belt. Um, so we dove in pretty hard getting involved with the church and youth yes. group. Uh, you were homeschooled. Yes. All the things. All the I was things. homeschooled uh, and I was at church two or three times a week. Yeah. Um, but I but I will say that my first experiences at the specific church I went to were good experiences. Mm-hmm. I think that we all felt really connected and like welcomed into the environment. Right. So at that moment in time, it was, this is great. Right. This is perfect. I'm homeschooled. And so my, my friends are these good church kids. Right. Um, I mean, what could be better? Right. They're all these pure Christian <laughs> church kids. Yeah. And when you're just saying that, it makes me think like, well, if it was good. And it this was, is why this yeah. is hard because there were some really good people there. They yeah. were always kind to us. Yes. But also I think we were very much fit in that box of being this white middle upper class yeah. family that's had all these conservative yeah. views. I yeah. Mean, we were the family that they would want to sit right. in their congregation. That's right. Yeah. So we looked like everybody else acted like everybody else. We were definitely in a white pure evangelical church. Yes. So why wouldn't they be nice to us? Yeah. So we both really connected with yeah. the church and people there. I mean, I'm not going to focus too much on me, but I've shared some, yeah. you know, I became like very involved with the women's ministry, led Bible studies, became on the women's ministry team. But at the same time, you became very connected in yeah. youth group and that became a lot of your life and identity. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. I was heavily and I mean, it pretty much as involved as you could get in a youth group. We had church on Wednesday and Sunday. So those two days I was at church all day. I would just hang around afterwards just to be there. Um, as time went on, I was like 13, 14 leading small groups for kids two years younger than me. Um, I went to every single church camp, every single mission trip, which that's a whole other thing. Um, eventually I got on the worship team. I mean, I just did every single thing you could possibly 
do to be involved. I mean, you were the poster yeah, child. Yeah, like I was, yeah. I was in it. Um, all my friends were a couple years older than me. Um, so even though I was younger, I was still kind of viewed as like a leader in the young congregation. Um, yeah, I was just like the poster child for a church girl homeschooled. Like mm-hmm. all my friends were at church. Yeah. So yeah, that I, was me. And that was definitely your identity. And oh, yeah. I mean, you love the youth pastor. Yeah. He definitely let you have a lot of freedoms that yeah. others didn't. And I mean, I wouldn't even say we felt anything was like wrong at that time. I think yeah. it's almost until maybe you got a little older. Like I think so when I was 14, the older kids got to go out of the country on mission trips and the younger ones got to go to like inner cities in the United States. And I had done that for a while. I'd been to like three different ones. And that year they announced the older kids were going to Germany. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go to Germany. Like that sounds incredible. Um, so I asked the youth pastor, I was like, hey, is there any way I can get on this trip? Even though I'm like two years too young and he was like of course you are you know the leader here you are well loved like come on aboard so everyone else was 16 17 years old I was 14 we packed up and went to Germany I would still say it was like one of the best experiences of my life but for different reasons now than I would have said like when I came back definitely going in had a really like white savior complex of like what mission trips were like oh my gosh we're going here with like something that someone else needs and Mm -hmm. we are the only people that can deliver it to them and of course germany is not like a third world country but the main focus of the trip was working with working for um refugees from mostly syria so like syrian refugees which was, I mean, an incredible experience. We spent a couple of days with them and their kids and they told us their stories of how they came to Germany. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds like some action movie that you couldn't even like write. Mm-hmm. It just, it was, it blew my mind that these people went through such horrific experiences in their countries and then getting to Germany or wherever they were going. So I came home from that trip just really, really like stunned with those stories that I heard and those people that I met because so this was 2016 and 2016 was an election year and it was a it was a crazy one we had um it was a yeah it was a special election year (laughs) and I my family was you and dad everybody was very conservative um around me all my friends were whatever that means when you're 14 I would I was a self-proclaimed like 14 year old Republican I guess like that's because that's what you're around like (laughs) Like, that was (laughs) I feel like that was the only option yeah like for sure like you're a Christian you don't ever vote Democrat you are pro-life and I guess right now that means building a wall. Yeah. I even remember having a conversation with a friend and me being like, so which one's like, which party's like the one that the Christians vote for? And wow. I was like, okay, Republican. So in my mind, I was like, okay, Republican equals good Christian, yeah. conservative, Democrat equals like evil, bad. Cause during that time we had Sanders and Clinton and I thought they were like, and I was 14. So mm-hmm. like what in the but world? But still that you shows know? <laughs> you like the influence yeah. that your parents and faith and, community. And I think it was more the community than it was my parents, you guys, yeah. because I don't think we ever really even discussed that. Um, I think, yeah, because we were slightly torn. For the record, yeah. I did not vote for Trump. But uh, yeah, we can put that. We can put that out there. We can put that out there. I didn't vote in that election, which is a problem in itself. But 
I do think it was a faith community. I think that's when your dad and I were both started a little bit like, what the heck? Yeah. Who is this guy that yeah. we boys voted Republican? But definitely your influence yeah. started opening. So, so I come back from Germany and I'm telling my parents about these stories. And I felt like my parents, you guys, always did a good job at letting me think for myself, you know? And so it, there was never a conversation that was had that was like, immigrants are bad or like anything like that. It was like, that's great. I'm glad that you learned something. So yeah. I started kind of doing my own research on immigration, like statistics for this country, like mostly, you know, Mexican immigrants, because that was the hot topic in the media because of Trump's build the wall. Yeah. Um, and I remember, so like, yeah, I yeah. remember like having lunch with you a day or two after you got back yeah. to make that pizza shop. And you were just telling me these stories of these Syrian refugees. And I was just like, yeah. Wow. I'd never heard these stories before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was very naive to actually what went on and just like went with the news bites yeah. of built the wall immigrants are bad, whatever. But, um, you telling me the story started in my mind, like, wait a second, there's more to this. Okay. So yeah. at the same time you start researching. So I'm researching because now when I see these statistics, I'm not thinking about, oh, that's the, that's a big number. I'm thinking about these specific individual people I met who represent these statistics, even though I'm, you know, even though it's yeah. Germany and stuff, it was the same thing. Um, so that really started turning wheels for me, because especially because the conservative rhetoric at the time was a lot about immigration. So I was like, man, this is confusing to me, mm-hmm. um, especially because these conservative people are also the people that I go to church with mm-hmm. every Wednesday and Sunday. And I'm like, this something just doesn't right. make sense. So that was kind of the first topic that I really was like, mm, pause. I don't get why Christians aren't the ones advocating for these people right. when they're the, they're the ones that are like telling them they need to leave. Or right. That they're illegal. Or not all to these mention things. there's a yeah. few Bible verses that are pretty Yeah, not well. to mention welcome a stranger right. and you know, all of that stuff. So that was like, so I was 14 then and that really was like my first big question or my first like... I don't get that. Mm -hmm. I really don't get that. And so then Trump became president, as we know. And there are just all the moments, Mm -hmm. all the like, what in the world is going on with him? Every one of those moments was like a step closer to, wait a second. Right. (laughs) What are we doing here? Right. The sexual, like all of that. I mean, this doesn't fit with the Christian theology, supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to your point with the like the sexual, you know, harassment that revolved around Trump and the things he said and were was accused of, that was another big thing for me because I was like, wait a second, why are why are Christians who are all about women need to be pure and we need to have like purity and all this stuff, why are they supposed this guy who's mm-hmm. disgusting and like the mm-hmm. opposite of like pure mm-hmm. and good and whole, you know, like mm-hmm. all these mm-hmm. things that was a big kind of like tipping point. Right. right. I think. Cause by now I'm like what, 15 and 16 years old and I'm leading worship on this worship team that I really enjoy. I really enjoyed it. Um, but at one point, there was a meeting that was called with my worship band, who was mostly boys. There was like me and one or two other girls. And the meeting was about, or part of it was about uh, the clothes that we were wearing. Obviously, that meeting's not directed to the boys because they were saying things like, 
don't wear tight shirts and don't wear short. They're not referring don't wear to any the low boys. cutting shorts. Someone shirts. in that meeting interrupted the person and said, "If you want to say this is about grace, just say it's about grace." Me being Grace. And how old were you? 16? Probably 15 or 16. I don't remember. Probably 15 yeah. at first. And I was like, one, mortified. That's so embarrassing. Two, um, there had always been jokes said about me on stage because, I mean, I never wore anything that's quote unquote like slutty. It was just like 100 degrees in Oklahoma right. all the time. So I would wear shorts or like a lower cut shirt. I don't know. Just normal things right. that teenage girls wear when it's a hundred degrees outside. But you were curvier yeah. and well endowed. And yeah. so if you don't mind me saying no, that, that's so <laughs> it was, and you're very beautiful. And so it's just like attention was drawn yeah. to you. I mean, the th- like at one point it was like, Grace, you can't, you need to be wearing pants because the sixth grade boys in the front are going to be distracted when they're worshiping. I'm like, that's weird. Why don't you have a conversation with the sixth grade boys that you're worried about? Or like, Oh grace, you're like the hot girl of the church. This being said to me by youth pastors or youth leaders, by the way, this isn't teenage boys or, um, an incident where I was at a band practice and one of my, um, like music, like the, my band mates came over and like slapped my butt when he walked by me. And I was like, what? And he laughed. And so I laughed because it's like, I'm uncomfortable. Um, and so because of that incident, you can see that the environment that was created about women, especially within a worship team band made this boy feel comfortable to like sexually harass me. Right. And we've, I want to say that we, as your parents didn't know at the time, it wasn't like these things happened and you came home and like told us that a boy grabbed your butt. I mean, you did talk about you being told what you could and couldn't wear, but at that time, me and your dad were in that environment yeah. of like, well, then I guess you shouldn't. Yeah. Like, yeah, you need and to. And it got to the point where it's like, I would break down before I left to lead worship on Wednesday nights because I was so stressed out about what I was wearing. And then it, that affected my performance on stage because I was like thinking all of these boys were looking at me. And that's not a fair thing to put on boys. Mm-hmm. It's not fair to label them as these like just sex addicts when they're 14 years old. Right. That's not fair to them. Right. And that's not fair to me to be having anxiety attacks right. before I go to church. And you, that is about the time you really started having bad anxiety yeah. and some depression yeah. and other things. And we didn't know exactly what was going on at church. So we yeah. didn't, I'm not saying one caused the other, but I do think no, it yeah. was, it was a correlated. Things, yeah. Um, so let's, I do, we'll come back to Trump, but let's, <laughs> let's talk like we are, but dive in more like the whole purity culture yeah. because you were definitely raised in that. Yes. And I participated hardcore <laughs> raising you in that. So I'm not blaming the church because I, as your mom, was part of that and yeah. part of that culture. I mean, I don't blame you for anything. You were doing the best you could do with the information you had. And that's like all, you know, we expect of parents to do. It was also your first child. So what do you know? Um, and I think. I think I mean, I look back cause I'm like, I cannot even believe that some of the things like we'll talk about the whole passport to purity thing that we did. But I think like, I just wanted to, you know, we had left Iowa and a mess of a marriage. I mean, your dad, like our very, our family was kind of messy and I just so wanted to be like, let's get connected in the church and with yeah. God revamp our family, make our family strong. So 
whatever the church is preaching and teaching, like we are all, we are all in. And so the moms I connected with, I mean, pretty much that's all you have is very conservative moms. We're also like in a small town, but there's no other option. Right. We were a small town, Oklahoma. And of course the moms I'm connecting with are also homeschool moms. So (laughs) I remember the first thing we did, I don't know how old were you, Grace, 14 or 15? When I'm like, we're going to do Passport to Purity. No, the first oh, thing gosh. you did was probably <laughs> when I was 12, I want to say. What was that? When we went to the hotel. I thought that was the Passport no, to Purity. No, this was different. So what we did first was, because you got this idea from other homeschool moms, I was 12 or 13 and we like went to a hotel for the evening, which I was so mortified. Um, and we had like to have the talk, to, yeah, to That's have like right. the talk, which like, obviously you have to have that conversation with your kid at some point, but when you do it in a way to where it's like, we can only have this type of conversation at like a specific location far away from home. That gives me the message that this isn't something appropriate to talk about casually at home. Right. So, well, and I was also of like kind of shy and like just, you were. Ah, like you were. That's so, why we didn't know like, a lot still. that was going on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think that you knew really what a boy was. Yeah. Like, so that was mortifying. I mean, any kid would feel that way, but not your sister. No, not my sister. But, <laughs> um, but when you add on the like we. We did this at a hotel I know, together because I heard that it was it's like okay. going to be a good bonding weekend. It was away and talk all things sex with your daughter, <laughs> and it was the most awkward, uncomfortable weekend. Yeah. And then you later told me like anytime I would ask you, uh, yeah, I, that made me not want to go out to lunch with you because I was like, anytime <laughs> we're alone together outside the house, that means we're going to have to have some kind of like uncomfortable conversation about sex when I don't even talk to boys because it's scary, you know? Right. And, Anyways, so then, and basically in that okay. conversation was presented like what the church would say, like purity, you know, I mean, I yeah, didn't yeah. give you like a purity ring, but it was like, this is what the husband and wife right. do. Sex is like only between a man and woman, only when you're married. Yeah. So very like heteronormative, right. Conservative, dress modestly, culture. all of that yeah. stuff, all of that <laughs> stuff. And so that's what we left you with. But, and then you go yeah. into church and same thing. So what were you going to say? But then, so then like a year later is when we did the passport to purity and that, I think we, we were driving somewhere to look at some, like some kind of like, we went on to, a long drive, we went, like, some long drive to somewhere. And I knew that you were going to be playing this. <laughs> and the way that I tried to get out of that drive, I tried everything. I think I postponed it at one point. Anyways, but I had to go. I was in the car and you started playing it and I blocked a lot of it out. But I, it, I did too because I can't was, believe... I, mean, I think it was like a... I don't want to quote wrong, but I think it was focused on the family and it was very yeah. much like girls dress modestly. It was and, definitely directed towards women, oh. towards young women, the way that they dress. And they set up the boundaries yeah. and protect guys that are visual. I mean, yeah. it was just all of that crap. Yeah, that, it was unfair uh, expectations of women, and then it was just unfair things to put on men mm-hmm. um, as individuals. So that was, like, traumatizing, for sure. And uh, so then going back <laughs> to the church that you're highly immersed in, I mean, the church was your social life because yeah. you were homeschooled, and that's where your friends were, that's where your yeah. social life was. And we went to a church that was set up very patriarchal, complementarian, whatever word you want to say, where only male pastors, only male elders, only men in leadership. Yes. And you saw directly the effect that had on the boys. Yeah. The boys that I were around, I had 
boys that were older than me that I was friends with originally, but eventually they kind of grew up and went to college. So then I was left with boys that were my age. And the, the culture that this purity culture created allowed these boys who were 14, 15, 16 years old to be disgusting, to harass and assault women, um, girls. Like the things that like they would say, the, the sexual they would comments. Say and they would grab you because they thought it was funny. It, yeah, it allowed them to do that and to do it without thinking they were doing anything wrong. They didn't think they were doing anything wrong because they had been told if a girl dresses in shorts and a tank top, she's kind of asking for mm-hmm. you to do that. Mm-hmm. And you can't help it because you're like a visual sex being as a 15 year old boy. Yeah. I mean, especially on church camp trips when it's hot out. I mean, I think you remember the stress of like trying to find shorts that were long enough because I have super long legs. Yes, I do remember that. Um, And swimsuits that would cover everything. Yeah, it was stressful. And the boys never had that stress Mm -hmm. ever. I think one of the most harmful experiences was at a church camp. And there was a guy there who was doing lectures on like apologetics and like all that stuff. But somehow it got turned to like purity. And he like took a flower and crumbled it up. Oh, he took a flower and he was like, this represents your purity. And then he like had boys come up on stage and was like, you stomp on this. And then the other boy stomped on it and the other boy stomped on it. And he was like, the stomp represents every time you have like a sexual encounter, not even like sex, but like a sexual encounter. And then at the very end, there was like the last boy. And then a girl came up on stage to present the crushed flower to the last boy. And the boy was like, no, I don't want it anymore because it's been like used and reused. And I do remember not taking that well. Even at the time, I remember thinking that's kind of messed up that they just compared women to like a crushed flower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was something wrong with that, but that is so harmful. And it's, and that was a room of three, 400 kids. Um, half of them girls. That's really harmful, especially when you could take into into account like young girls that have been sexually assaulted. Right. What do they feel about themselves? It's like, so, okay, so I'm already the crushed flower and I didn't ask to be. Right. So like, what does that mean for me? And for the boys, all they got to do is stomp on a flower and reject the flower. Right. They have the power of like, I'll stomp and then I'll say no. Yeah. And it's funny because like, the stomping you're the one doing the stomping Mm -hmm. you're the one having Mm -hmm. sex too but you're like so that's the that's how did that make you feel about yourself it just it made me feel like i really was not equal to Mm -hmm. these specifically these male leaders who i really cared about and who i thought cared about me it made me feel like i wasn't a valued member of this church team when i was the most involved and the most committed over every single boy in there right and i was like but all you're gonna see me at the end of the day is like a little flower that can be crushed or not right and you also heard sermons i think about the gum and the not kissing like oh yeah that was constant one valentine's day night one time we had a sermon that was don't kiss until you get married and i'm looking around like "Mm, half these people are gonna leave after this and go because you know (laughs) how many of your girlfriends and were having sex yeah i'd say half the kids in that youth group were sexually active and they weren't doing it safely because they grew up in an environment that said, well, just don't have sex. Mm-hmm. 
So where was their option to do it safely? Right. Yeah. And there were girls that got pregnant. I knew a couple that got pregnant and then of course they're not welcome anymore. So it's like, what? Right. Y'all let this, you know, I mean, there's so many problems with that yeah. theology. And I think that's where my faith started unraveling is the whole complementarian yeah. egalitarian. And then that's when you started sharing more things because it was just kind of lost on me that women couldn't be pastors until it became an issue with another woman on the women's ministry scheme speaking up yeah. and then me getting quote reprimanded for teaching a, yeah. a marriage class, being the only woman. And that's yeah. when I started questioning it. That really became an issue that undid everything else. Yeah. But like, even you, do you mind sharing? Like, I know something that was said to you from your youth pastor that loved you. Um, when you talked about had that yeah, conversation. So eventually I started realizing that a lot of the things I had been taught weren't right. They weren't okay. And so I was with my, one of my youth pastors at like a brunch thing and he kind of brought up like, what's going on with your family? Okay. So yeah, that was fast forward when yeah. we started, like I just said, yeah. questioning things and like, Cause he could tell that like we were maybe posting different things on social media mm-hmm. or like kind of be speaking up within church and environments. And so he's like, what's going on with your family? And I don't know exactly <laughs> what, what are you supposed to answer to that? I don't know exactly what I said. I was like, I think they're just doing their thing. Like, I don't know. Don't worry about it. And then we got on the topic of women being pastors because that was the hot topic. And so I said, so you're telling me if I came to you in a couple of years and said, I feel like the Lord's leading me to be a pastor. You would tell me that's not true. And I can't do that. And he told me, yeah, I would tell you that you can't be a pastor. And that really hurt me because mm-hmm. this is a person that I, I mean, was like my uncle. Like I yeah. really admired him. I loved him. I, I've known him for years. I'm very close to him and his family. And I'm like, really? Like, you know me, you know my heart, you know that this sounds cocky, but like, I would be a good pastor. Like at that time, right. you know, like, and he was just like, yeah, I mean, that's what Paul says. And yeah. I'm like, what? what? And I do remember you coming home and telling me that and that being kind of one of the final straws yeah. of like, we're done with that church. Like, this is what you're telling my daughters. Yeah. They can be president, but they can't be a pastor. Yeah. Think- and that's, that's what started to really do it was that I realized that when I was doing everything quote unquote, right, when I was leading the groups and being the singer and doing all the things and saying the prayers, everybody and dressing how they wanted, yeah, dressing how I wanted, everybody loved me. I mean, they loved me. But then when I started really finding myself and who I am and what I believe and standing up for what I know is right, I was not very popular, right? Um, which was probably around yeah. what age? Like you, we met 16, 16 and a half. Yes. Because it was yeah. like the last year and a half or so when we were yeah. there, people really started. I mean, the word bullying is like very, I don't know. I feel like that sounds dramatic to use, but people weren't nice to me. Right. They, they I was the butt of the joke called like a snowflake and a lip tar, you know, all those yes. things. Then it, you would come home crying. And yeah. I cried a lot about it. Very torn between wanting to stay in worship and yeah. not letting, you know, the enemy yeah. win, yeah. but then really hurt hurtful things yeah. being said about I mean, you. girls would call me like a slut and like a whore. Boys would like make fun of my political beliefs because I started really getting into politics. That's like my thing. Um, as in the Donald Trump presidency helped nothing because that really empowered boys to be but sexual I, predators. Um, but I also think that's when you started getting into politics well, yeah, because yeah. you saw like... I just meant Donald Trump didn't oh, have the culture right. of, right. you know... 
But the crazy, like, extreme hypocrisy of Donald Trump and the Bible Belt support, I think that is when you really started, like, getting into politics and speaking up. And then there's the whole factor of, like, homosexuality. That's something that my whole life, I ever since I knew what it was, I remember thinking that's a weird thing to like label as bad because it's mm-hmm. literally just somebody loving someone. Like I remember that at a young age thinking that and just wondering why that was a big deal. But of course I believed that it was a sin at one point because right. like that's a the sin. You but know? I mean I I'm guilty yeah. of telling you that. Yeah. I remember in yeah. preschool one of your good little friends, Joey. Yeah. He had two moms. I remember you having a specific conversation with me about that. I remember it too. Like telling me that and then being like, Like that's that's not not okay okay. to have two mommies. Yes, because I was regurgitating what I was spoon fed and just letting you know that at a very young age. And the LGBTQ community in the church that we went to, I mean, was not welcomed. I mean, I'm sure they say, oh, you're welcome to come sit, but they were not welcomed there. It was clear it was a sin. It was I mean, clear. if you want to come in, it was not fine. a welcoming environment. Right. If you want to come in and give your time and money, that's yeah. fine, but you can't keep living yeah. in that sin. And so once I got to a point where I was like, man, screw all of you. This is ridiculous. Because you knew youth in that. This, well, that's what I'm going to say. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Once, so once I got to that point where I was like, screw you guys, I ended up getting a position where I was leading a group of. 6th, 7th, and 8th grade girls. So now I'm like 16, 17 years old. And literally all of them were part of the LGBTQ community in some way. And it was technically my job to report that, which I would never do because Mm -hmm. that's horrible. So it became kind of like an underground. We would just talk about social issues. We would talk about the LGBTQ community. It would help them get resources and just let them know that they're welcomed here because they have other youth group leaders that told them like, you're just straight up living a disgusting mm-hmm. life. And they're 12. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? So that's where I really got to a point where I was like, I, mean, I don't care what any of y'all say because this is right, what I'm right. doing. And pre- that's right. Preaching love and Jesus' love. Yeah. yeah. And I think that correlated, and this is why I'm like intertwining our mother-daughter stories yeah. because regrettably I was on the fence, which... I look back and I'm like, why would I even, why we as Christians even think it's our role to decide if a group is in or out just blows my mind. So I was, I was really wrestling with that topic of what I've been taught, but then I had my podcasts and stories and Amy Kegler was huge for me reading her story, having her on the podcast, kind of processing her story with you and that really solidified. You had already been talking to me about the LGBTQ community and how God loves and accepts them. And that just solidified. I mean, I think Emmy's story and then our talk. And then we went to Evolving Faith. Yes, we did. And that just really was like, wow. Talk a little bit about that conference because I think you were 16. Yeah, we went to Evolving Faith out in Colorado a couple of years ago. And that's when, you know, we were deconstructing and all of that. But I, I felt like, part of me felt like, are we the only people like thinking this way? Like maybe we are wrong. Maybe before we went. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe like, Like what is wrong with us? Yeah. Maybe we are wrong. Maybe what we're thinking is wrong. And like, we've let the, you know, the devil into our minds, Mm -hmm. you know? So we went to the conference and like, we were in like the big session with everybody. And the first couple of things that were said was like, okay, there's like a gender neutral bathroom over there. And like, just all these very like progressive liberal things. Like there's a, uh, 
uh, room where people of color can go right. just by themselves if you don't want right. to be around white people. And I was like, what? <laughs> Hold right. up. Are we at a Christian conference? Because right? Right. I've been to Christian conferences before. <laughs> Hi, I saw the flower steps on. This yeah. is not... Yeah. And... I like looked around at one point and was like, oh my gosh, every single person here is like me in the Mm -hmm. sense that like, we're all going through this and we all believe that there's something more. Like we believe that this, like the Christianity that we had always been around really like cheapened love. And now it's like, wow, there's Mm -hmm. something more. And like, we're free to like ask questions yeah. And to like live in those questions. Yeah. So that and to was, speak up against yeah. Trump and the wall and yeah. to say black lives matter yeah. and to say the LGBTQ community is yeah. loved. Um, and two sessions I remember were powerful yeah. when we saw the pantsuit politics lady yes. and <laughs> the girl that stood up in the audience. So talk about that a little yeah, bit. I think that so, was really powerful for both of yeah, us. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, podcasts, pantsuit politics Beth and Sarah, they were there. And so we went to their little, you know, session and we heard them talk and then there was time for questions. And then this girl in the back, um, raised her hand and they came over with a microphone and she stood up and she couldn't talk. She started crying and could like for quite a while could not get her question she was out. Latino, right? Yeah. Yes. She, well, she was from, uh, Venezuela. Okay, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so finally she like was able to ask her question and through tears, she said, how am I supposed to have these, you know, nuanced political conversations? How am I supposed to love people who believe in a man who said my country is a shithole? Cause that's a quote from Trump about Venezuela and Central American mm-hmm. countries. And that, I mean, I think everyone in the room, had, she was bawling, she was, I mean, bawling and, her eyes yeah. out and we all, we were crying. Like it was, it was a really like raw moment. And, um, you know, that just shows you in a little bit, we realize like this man and the evangelical Christians that support him and his ideologies are affecting individual people. Mm -hmm. They're hurting people and they're doing it in the name of a God who is all about love and that's messed up. And there's something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that was one of the moments. Yeah. And that, I mean, we, yeah. and I, that was for me like, okay, yeah, this is a no brainer anymore. Like yeah. what, what are we even doing and supporting? And I know we had a lot of time for lunch and talking after yeah. that. And then the next breakout we randomly haphazardly ended up in was yeah, we Austin. Got we got lost. <laughs> okay. So we ended up in Austin Hark's room and he has a new book out now called transforming yeah. the Bible and the lives of transgender Christians. Yeah. And that just came out. So when we saw him speak, it was two years ago and he was yeah. a transgender Christian and whoa, my mind wasn't ready yeah. for that. I was, I mean, I was pretty well educated. I was pretty well educated on like gender issues and pronoun, you know, all the things, mm-hmm. but mom coming from a different, you know, generation where that's not really talked about was very like, like, right. what is this? Right. Uh, but it was a great seminar. Or it was whatever. so good. It was and very educational. He tied it back to the Bible. He talked about intersex people in the Bible. The he, eunuchs yeah. and all of that. And it was great. He did a fantastic job. And I saw, you know, your wheels turning and was like, wait a second. Yeah. And, you know, right, because putting the story, I mean, that's why the podcast so changed directions because these stories that we are encountering, yeah. 
yours, these people at Evolving Faith, I was like, wait a second. These are not just issues that we get to decide a person's humanity. Yes, and that's the point that needs to be made is that a lot of these conservative, evangelical, Trump-supporting Christians that we were around, they never sought out anybody different than them. Mm -hmm. But the second you start knowing people who are black, who are transgender, who are gay, it all changes. Yeah. It's hard. It's harder to hate like what you know personally. Right, right. So now at this point, like when you hear people talk about transgender issues, you can think of Austin. You can think of yeah. all these other people. Yeah. And you you know. And so you're putting a person yeah. with that. Yeah. And, and when you're shut in that little white conservative box, you're yeah. not. Yeah. You're on your high horse of like this is wrong and this is right. Well, it's just complete and utter privilege mm-hmm. to be able to live in a space that looks like you, that thinks like you, and that acts like you, and won't ever challenge right. who you are. Right. Ever. Right. That's immense privilege. And then at that same conference, and then we will move on, but I just want to reiterate how powerful that conference was for both of us. I remember you had had me listening to a podcast that summer. Oh, um, BT Hartman. Yes. (laughs) Blue Baby's Pink. Yes. And I had been listening to that podcast that summer leading up to this conference. I think it was after Emmy's conversation. And that was really helping me because it was his story of a man born and raised in a Southern conservative home and him coming out. And that just really hit me as well. So at the end of the conference, you have to take communion. Not have to. You had the honor of taking by one of the speakers. So it was everybody from Jen Hatmaker to Lisa and Sharon Harper to was giving communion and you just had to go who the person that was stationed closest to you. Well, ours ended up being BT whose podcast, like you said, we had just listened to great podcast. And so that was like, I mean, I I was was really transformative. It was so transformative. I was so like tearing up because here I was not a year prior thinking like, Oh, these people aren't at the table. Like these are people, these people are living in sin out of the kingdom to taking like him giving me communion. And it was just a really, really powerful, profound moment of like, no, we are all at God's table. We are all welcome. And if anybody I'm the center here, that was was like a humbling experience. That's it. It was very humbling that even somebody like me, he gave communion to, and we were all at the table. And so it was, that came, I mean, I feel like so many things hit both of our lives at once, like just one thing over the head at another that we were just like, so going back to what happened to your family in a few, in a few (laughs) short months, a lot of things happened. And I think I was trying to think where, because you did go to the black lives matter protest where all of our support for the black community came. I think because we, when we left that church, you left before we did this conservative white church, you started going to a church in South Tulsa that was North, left, Tulsa. North Tulsa, sorry, that was led by a black man, yeah. Pastor Michael Todd, where at that time was in not the, where the Tulsa race riots Yeah, happened. so this church was situated by the Greenwood District, which is the space where the Tulsa race massacre happened, and so that alone is like Right, you enlightened us in that. I had no idea yeah. about the Tulsa race massacre, and yeah. you were like, let me tell you about this, Mom. Well, I mean, because I had a teacher, like, that's another yes. thing, like, real quick, I had a teacher in high school that was all about like, you need to relearn history. Like it was just so many things. That's right. He came somehow we had like the one we, you did do history at another by another person. And we had like the one very progressive, amazing history teacher in all yeah. of Oklahoma that, and a white man, hello, Mr. Davis, cause I'm Hi. sure he's listening, <laughs> who started opening your eyes to issues of the indigenous people, trail of tears, the Tulsa race massacre. And you would come home and tell us. Yeah. I remember when I learned about the Tulsa race massacre, cause he was like, has anyone ever heard about this? And I was like, no. Right. And he's like, 
okay, well today that's all we're gonna talk about. And I came home and the statistics on that are crazy. And like it happened 20 minutes from where we go to bed every night. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. just don't know. Because it wasn't even, it wasn't even required to be taught in public schools in Tulsa until like last year or something crazy. So most people in Tulsa didn't know about it. That's why good teachers are important. Yeah. They give you not the whitewash history, but the real history. Yeah. So that was so eye-opening. I remember we went and visited that area, like, yeah. learning about it. Like, what? Like, this went on? And, like, yeah. wait, Owasso is, like, happened because of the white flat? Like, yeah, white Owasso flag? was just built because of racism. Yeah. So we lived in a town that was only existed because of white people and their fragility and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, wanted to get out of Tulsa where it started to be integrated. And thanks to white people. Like, thanks to white people bombing and burning. Yeah. T- yeah. Know, the Black Wall Street of Tulsa. That's so. right. Because it was a very, I mean, hopefully a lot of listeners know about the Tulsa Race Massacre. It was a very affluent area in Tulsa um, that was a black community. And basically the white people went in because of a false claim by a white woman that she had yeah. been sexually harassed by a black uh, child. I don't know. He was a Just a, a black man. And that, of course, you know white women love to cry for help and set off the alarm. Yeah, so the white women tears got the whole town burnt down and hundreds died, but it was just like looked over like nothing happened. History erased it because white people are in control of what yeah. you're reading about history. Um, so going back to that, that's where you started yeah. going to church. You were like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I'm done go. with this white conservative church. I'm going to find. So you started going to Transformation Church yeah. in Tulsa. Yeah. And I think that's when really our awareness about racism just started. I mean, we were ra- we were in such a white, yeah. white community. And yeah. it's like, we started hearing from black voices. Eventually me and your dad started going there. But yeah. tell me what your thoughts were just first when you started going to church there when I first well hmm, it was such I mean it was just an amazing experience it was so great because it it's like you have all it wasn't just like black people I mean was, there was tons of different it was races. yeah sure. it was multi-ethnic and there was a lot of talk about how important that is mm-hmm. and he made that very clear that the multi-ethnic part of this church is very important and I was like wow never once ever heard that before I think right. the one time I heard that was when we were at our old church mm-hmm. sitting there and the pastor said look at all the diversity <laughs> were you there when that well, we were we both had and he had our pants looked around and it's just white people and I'm like I, are we looking at the same yes I think we both just about lost yeah. it when our white pastor said that and literally yeah. were like, um, yeah, no yeah, shades no. of white. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so just to be able to worship and learn and fellowship with people that represent, you know, the nation of God. Yeah. Because the nation of God is not white America. Yeah. Never has been, never will be. Was great. It was eye-opening and it was great. And embarrassingly, like, I had never interacted really with people that weren't white. I mean, a little bit here and there, but... Except on mission trips, yeah, which, which sounds is, awful. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, that's, oof, full yeah. disclosure, that sounds yeah. awful. And so, you know, this like little white girl who just spent the past six years in a white evangelical church was like, hmm, I like this better. Mm-hmm. And because it was different ways of worship too, because it was specific to different cultures and the yeah. ways they worshiped. And that's great to be exposed to. because A lot now more you're, freedom. Yeah, because now you're growing your mind. 
mind. And that's right. what you're meant to do as a human being. And I remember I worshiped there just looking around being like, because seeing so many races represented, yeah. this is what God's kingdom looks like. Like, yeah. this is probably what heaven looks like. Like, yeah. just not all the same white, blonde hair, blue eyed people. No. Like, because eventually me and your dad, we we yeah, left the right, church yeah. that we, yeah. we were done finally with the white evangelical church we'd been attending and we switched to Transformation Church. Yeah. So and for me, because I'd always led women's Bible studies, but all the women always looked like me and acted like me and believed like me. And But I started leading a Bible study at Transformation where had black women, Latino women, Asian women. Like yeah. it was a, a mix of different women. And I started hearing different perspectives and different stories. So that's what really started opening yeah. my eyes. And then, yeah, I'll let and- you... To be clear, if I lived there now, I probably wouldn't be attending that church. I think it's great. I think they're doing great things. They're not affirming of the LGBTQ community, and I will not attend a church unless they're affirming of that. Because right. that feels like the bare minimum for me at this point, along with women being pastors. That's right. that's the really bare minimum. Right. So, yeah, that's... Which is so hard, the other point. Like, in the Bible Belt, good luck finding a church that is LGBTQ confirming. I mean, they're there, but (laughs) you've got to really, really search, and that's not a popular thing at all. So that is still how far the church has to go because, yes, while we loved transformation church and it's a huge church and michael todd is great they are not affirming and that's that's really harmful to people in that community and that's what i just i mean i'm sure most people listening to this are affirming but like it's it's not it never has been and yeah okay well and that's that's okay and that's okay like we're all on like different journeys and as long as you're willing to keep walking and to keep Mm -hmm. going on that journey do you think that's good. okay? Like you're you're much better at I am I, because I'm like, how is that okay? Because that is harmful to no, a okay, person's yes. being. As long as you have an open mind. I remember my teacher, Mr. Davis, told me one time. He said, "When you think you've learned everything, like when you think you know everything, you've just shut off the door for learning for the rest of your life." Okay. As long as you're willing to listen to people, be respectful, and have an open mind. It's okay to be on that place in your journey, but don't stay there and don't be harmful with it. Mm-hmm. Don't say, oh, I know 100% sure being gay is a sin. Mm-hmm. You don't actually. What if they saying, I, well, I think it is, but I'm going to just love the sin or, and hate the sin because that is a lot of yeah. The theology. Yeah. And I, and I, that comes from a really good place in your heart. It really does. People who believe that, because I believe it at one point, wholeheartedly believe that is a loving approach. And I appreciate people trying to be loving, but please understand that is harmful. That is more, I think gay people would rather you just straight up be like, no, just tell me I'm going mm-hmm. to hell. Like, you know, right. that's harmful to say like, oh, I love you as a person. I just think that this one specific thing that makes up you as a person right. uh, is disgusting. Yeah. yeah. That's what you're saying when you say like, love yeah. the sinner, hate this sin. Right. Um, so that's more harmful. So re-examine why and keep learning yeah. because that's the thing, like the conservative evangelical church doesn't make room for you to learn, for you to ask questions. They tell you that questioning is the opposite of faith. Yes. And then you start on the slippery slope and that's how the devil grabs you right. and then will bring you into this progressive Christianity, which they view almost worse than like atheism or like 
being agnostic. You know, I think that the Christian church views the conservative Christian church views progressive Christianity as like the ultimate evil, which is interesting. Anyway, so like we as humans are made to be curious. We are made to ask questions. And so when that's being suppressed, you're in a cult. You just are. That's like the definite, <laughs> and that sounds super dramatic, mm-hmm. but it's not dramatic. You are in a cult if you're not being allowed to think for yourself. Yeah. That's not faith. That yeah. is not faith. Right. That is just, brainwashing. Right. If you're regurgitating what you're spoon fed and not questioning yeah. anything. And I think um, going along with this, what we saw, I'm trying to think of the timeline. So we started going to transformation, but then COVID came. So we're fast forwarding to yes, 2020. And, it did. But I do know once we started going to transformation and I believe I started being way more vocal and that because on the um, podcast, yeah. on social media, and you saw direct attacks from yes. people that we thought we knew and loved that we served with on mission trips that your mama led in Bible study that you were friends with their mom. Like people were cruel, cruel. Yeah. And again, I don't want to be like, oh, it's being bullying, like whatever. But I think we but saw I again mean, for what that, especially yeah. when people are coming at my mom, like if people come at me, like whatever, no. you know, but if people come at my mom, I'm like, hold on a second. I mean, just <laughs> saying like awful things to you that I'm like, wow, all right. my mom said was like, let's, you know, right. support black people. And it's like, what happened to right. you? Right. Or let's stand up for the LGBT community. Or, I mean, I think the most of the hate came when I spoke against Trump because Trump represented every quote unquote represented every single thing, you know, that they stood for. Somehow yeah. he wrapped yeah. it all up for him in a pretty bow. Yeah. And so that was at least for me. And then I know you would chime in a lot. And I think by this time we're like starting to be in quarantine. So like, oh, good Lord. Um, <laughs> I mean, it kind of led up to there, but I really got vocal with Trump because yeah. what else are you going to do when you're stuck at home? And <laughs> But then I really felt like I saw where where people were and just yeah. the, the hate and the allegiance to this Christian nationalism yeah. when one of their own white women yeah. started saying that Black Lives Matter, yeah. started saying that Trump is a sexist and a racist. And it was yeah. just like, I turned on them. And so... Yeah. To be clear, all these issues existed long before Trump was even born. He was a weird catalyst (laughs) for these people. Don't, I would love to know all the psychology behind that at some point to like, right. It was all this has been below the surface. I mean, he just allowed, yes. Um, so then what we're home by ourselves every, every day and that gives you time to like think right. and re-examine things right. and go through it. Right. So you're not, I mean, and you're also, we're not in church or we're getting removed. We're starting, you know, I start sharing more podcasts or like, yeah. well, at this point I'm like very, very, yes, you are. Like I've, I'm quite far further ahead of you. And we have lots of conversations about that at the time. Right. We're talking yeah. about it. Like all, like every, not, I mean, just everything. Every day. All of this yes. About this is all we talk faith about and politics and like, yeah. what is going this time, like, I knew politics is what I want to pursue as a career, and, like, I'm, like, in it, in it, and that's, like, I mean, that was our, that's all we talk about, that's all we talk about still, I feel like, but, um, (laughs) it's fun. Um, but it's also, like, important, like, people that say, like, Jesus wasn't political or shouldn't be, or let's just agree to disagree, like, that's, that's not, 
Yes. It's not it. Like, this is important. Yeah. If, yeah. A lot of, I, at least I was taught, I won't speak for other people, but I was taught growing up that as Christians, we have a, like, battle to fight. And it's not between flesh and blood. It's between the spiritual forces of darkness. And it's your job to go throughout the earth and preach the good news and save people, which... That sounds like an interesting movie plot when I say it out loud. But that's like what I believe, like that you are a savior. So there comes the wonderful white savior complex that's, you know, mm-hmm. all there. So that's what I believed. They were correct that there is a battle that needs to be fought, but it is not a weird, like spiritual battle between you and then every other single person that doesn't look, think, believe right. like you. That's right. whack. It's a battle of like, Hell exists on earth in the form of poverty, racism, social injustices, homophobia, transphobia. Mm-hmm. That's a reality that people are living with. And it's your job to advocate and to stand beside and be an ally and to speak up for these people. That's what the battle is. Right. Jesus so many times told us to do, and I'm not trying to like rewrite the Bible here. It's just very clear with every encounter that Jesus had that he was trying to show us the way we live our life is by loving people. It's by including, it's by advocating for, it's by standing up for people who look and think differently. The woman at the well is a great example. The Good Samaritan. That's literally what that story is about. And then somewhere along the way, people it just decided to ignore that and make it about them and create America. this Americanized yeah. white version of Christianity. That's not real. And I don't it's even not think real. you say somewhere along the way, but I kind of think that's just how it was set up. I mean, when you look at the first Christians, Puritans in this country, yeah. like and the destroying the indigenous people like that's yes. how it was set up white yeah. christian nationalism yeah. this is how it is we are in charge we are at the top yeah and every minority group has had the bible weaponized against them mm-hmm. that's not okay and the church never addresses that ever mm-hmm. that should be the first thing that you're addressing every time you sit down for mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. um and then you have you know just even like the moral majority with the reagan administration and the fight against communism, like that amped up American uh, Christian nationalism too. Like it's right there for people to see. This is why you need your own podcast because you can start going off on a history political tangent of things. The the point I'm making is like, it's there for you to see, to look at, to learn from and to understand. You just have to be willing to do that. Yeah. And you're going to be okay. That's the thing. Like, you're not going to go down. Well, you might go down a slippery slope, actually. <laughs> We've been it's there. It's a little, it's fun. It's a water slide. <laughs> but you're, it's, not, it's not going to lead to like this, like, I don't know, damnation. Like, you're right. okay. You're right. going to be okay. It's going to be, it will be hard. Yeah. You'll probably lose some friends along the way. Yeah. And it will hurt. And there might be some tears and confusion and yeah. uncomfortability. But it's what I feel like Jesus came for and what he wants. Yeah. And we're going to read at the end something that you wrote about yeah. Jesus. Um, I want to talk just a few minutes about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Because I think that's another point that we were transformed in. And you went to some of the Black Lives Matter protests. Protests. So share just a little bit about that. So I did, I went to two protests where we lived back in Oklahoma. One was a organized one where there was probably two to 300 people there. And was it, yeah, it was very powerful. Um, I was surprised that there was that many people there. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was that. But the one I really want to talk about 
was there was like word of there being a protest in a smaller town next to Owasso called Collinsville. And um, a friend of mine who actually happens to be like a really conservative, like Trumper, it was kind of weird. She asked if I wanted to go. So weird dynamic (laughs) there. And I was like, absolutely. I want to be there. So we show up. And again, like this small strip of town was pretty much all that's there. And there's um, people like boarding up their shops and there's a bunch of cops, but there's no one else. It's Mm -hmm. just me and my friend and her little sister. I'm like, well, maybe we're like early or late. Mm -hmm. And um, no, no one else ever came. So they were like, should we go? I'm like, well, no, like we're here. Why don't we just stand here with our signs? Because obviously we have these signs and... So we're sitting there with a sign. My sign, you know, is like Black Lives Matter, um, all that. Theirs have some Bible verses on them. <laughs> Don't. It's okay. Um, anyway, so we're standing there. You have a couple people that are like, yeah, nice. What Eventually, boys in trucks with MAGA flags came by and spit on me at one point threw like a something at me like a rock or something. Um, you have people coming by, flipping me off, calling me bad words and it was interesting because the people that would walk by would look at my friends with their bible verse um posters and be like this is great this is what needs to be on these protests Mm -hmm. they would see my sign and they would immediately get uncomfortable aggravated ticked off because my sign said black lives matter so that was interesting um and then at one point we had a cop that came by and started crying and so my friends were kind of like consoling him because he's had a, I don't I want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sarcastic here. He's, he's going through it because of the stuff that's going on in the country. Not going to speak right. to that right now. Because was this, but, this was George Floyd. Yeah, like, this was okay, George Floyd. Okay, that's right. I, he didn't want anything to do with me. Right. Because mm-hmm. I have a Black Lives Matter sign. Right. And this, I don't want to make this about me, like in the sense of like, It was oh, just interesting. It was just an eye-opening experience. Not even eye-opening because I knew that that was there, but it was just interesting to see the kinds of people and the things they reacted positively to and the things they reacted negatively to. And that they immediately associated Black Lives Matter with liberal propaganda. But when they see a Bible verse and two blonde hair little girls stand on the corner with a Trump hat, they're like, this. Right. Right. I'm like, what? Right. And so you get cussed at and spit on with the yeah. Black Lives Matter sign and yeah. Trump yelled at you um, and the other. So that was yeah. eye-opening as well. Yeah. For you. Yeah. And, and then you take that into church and I'm like, why are we talking about Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about the systematic racism that black people are facing in this country, in this town, in yeah. this area. And I think at that time, I mean, church wasn't, we weren't in church. Yeah. So. But I, I still was right. connected with my church people. Right. I still would right. go out to lunch with my right. leaders and right. we'd have these conversations. Right. And it's like, why is this not the biggest yeah. topic that we're talking about yeah. in the church right now? I want to go back a little bit to the wall and immigration because I think that's such a hot topic right now too. Oh yeah, it definitely is. And some other things, again, so many things happen at once for us. So some other things that really totally changed our mind about that. You went to Juarez, you saw the wall. Yeah, I've, I've seen part of the border wall whatever you want to call it. I've been at the border. I've crossed over the border. I've sat in people's homes in Mexico who have tried to cross the border and got turned back. I also have been to Central American, Nicaragua, Central a country right. Central America, talked with them about their experiences. So again, these aren't statistics to me. These are real life people with families and like lives. Again, like you said, this is a hot topic right now again. And it feels like it's the church's job 
to not deal with this, but to be heavily involved with this. Mm-hmm. I feel like the church, that's all we should be talking about. And right heavily now. involved in speaking out for the cause yes. of widows and orphans. Yes. Not like heavily involved in let's pay more money for the wall. Oh no, that's not what I meant. Please yeah. Don't yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> right. But that, I mean, yeah. it, it, right. I agree with you because Jesus said, welcome the foreigner, let the little children come to me. And that's, I mean, that's what we're doing with the children. And it's so easy to not care. And sometimes I get jealous of people that are so ignorant or just... Right. Or just can call you a snowflake and move on. Because what a life. What a life of privilege where you can just be like, you know what? All the suffering, don't even have to think about it. Because you don't have to if you're white, upper class. Like, you don't ever have to think about it or look at it. But it's once you see it and once you know it's there, it's hard to to not even just not think about it. I don't know how you can be a Jesus follower and not. Yeah. And it's like, also, we had a girl from where as lived with us yeah. summer before last. Yeah. Um, she was on here on an education visa and that was eye opening too. Yeah. She came here for school for the States, but yeah. lives in Juarez. And that was amazingly eye opening to hear her perspective and not so much like, yes, we should. This is such a nuanced topic. We're not like, okay, yes, we have to let everybody in, but I think we have to look deeper at that. What do we need to invest in those countries? What is the yeah, harm that sure. we've done to Central America? Oh, yeah, that's a whole What thing. do we need to do to rebuild and to protect yeah. people there? I mean, there's it's so, again, so nuanced, but yeah. there's so much that we could be doing and yeah. so much damage that we, this country, has done well, in those countries. also that, like, a lot of these conservative Christians believe in, like, American exceptionalism mm-hmm. and that we are the country where the American dream is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you're going to believe that, but then yet yeah, turn around and say, no, get these gross right. people out of here. Right. And it all comes down to whether it's consciously or subconscious, a belief that you think you're better than other people that don't look like you. Because you don't care about all the illegal immigrants coming from Canada or mm-hmm. s- like European countries, because that's a thing. Mm-hmm. You don't care because they look just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of egos involved mm-hmm. here. And the belief, because you've been, because that's what the church teaches you in a direct or indirect way that you're better than people because you have this message that the rest of the world, that these third world countries don't have, and it's your job to save them. But you want to save them like when you go on a like a mission trip slash vacation right. to right. Mexico. But the second they step into your territory, oh, no, ugh, that's right. gross. I'm better than you. Right. Even if that's not what you think you believe, I would challenge you to really examine like where those beliefs come from. Hear that? Oh, okay. Sorry, there's a dog in the back if you hear that. Just ignore that. Just just ignore the barking dog. This is real life. Okay, so that is a big, big nutshell of quote what happened yeah, to, to your parents, what happened to you, Grace. What happened that you're now a snowflake and woke? Yeah. So last summer, I remember you writing something because, again, COVID, we'd have a lot of time process and talk and yeah. really examine our faith and not being back in church. Moving to, we moved to a new state last yeah. summer. So you, I know, have been doing a lot of soul searching and what does this actually mean to follow Jesus and be a, quote, Christian yeah. and... You shared with me something that you... Did you write that last fall, maybe? Yeah, I last fall because dad and I... Or my dad and I had gone out to dinner and we were just talking about this stuff. And I said, you know, dad, I really think that these evangelical Christians would actually hate Jesus if he was hanging out with them right now. They would hate him. My dad was like, what do you mean by that? So I went home and like wrote this long thing because I like to write. 
Okay, so Grace, why don't you go ahead and read for us what you okay. wrote? Christians today would not like Jesus if they met him. A bold statement, I know, but I believe it is true. Here's why. I imagine a hypothetical scenario in which Jesus came back to earth, although we were not aware of his identity. I imagine us inviting this disguised Jesus to attend our local church, and I imagine him getting up and leaving before the sermon was over. This Jesus was angry when he learned this church did not allow women to be pastors. This Jesus was saddened when he learned LGBT people did not feel welcomed and loved within these walls. This Jesus was hurt when the church could not confidently exclaim, Black Lives Matter. This Jesus would walk away from this church, pick up a sign, and join the protests in the street. The Christians of that church wouldn't like this Jesus. I imagine again that you befriend this Jesus. You are walking with him down the street, maybe showing him around, maybe you have dinner plans as you approach a group of people experiencing homelessness. You focus your eyes elsewhere and even without even acknowledging their presence. Maybe you try to cross to the other side of the road as you hear them ask for money. You make it across the street and turn to Jesus when you realize he's not there. He is back sitting in the dirt and the filth with the homeless people. You return back to Jesus and the homeless people, and you pull some spare change out of your pocket, probably out of sympathy and maybe embarrassment that you hadn't done so before. Now you think that you and Jesus can continue walking. However, Jesus cancels your dinner plans for the evening and says he wishes to stay with the homeless people, perhaps even overnight. You're annoyed. This wasn't the plan. This is uncomfortable. Your new friend Jesus seems odd and unreasonable. You don't really want to be friends with someone who does things like this. You're annoyed with this Jesus. He makes you uncomfortable. You don't like him very much. This Jesus wants to go down to the southern border, a place where his skin looks more like the people who live there than the people who may live in your neighborhood. He wants to go down to the border and welcome people in, but you want law and you want order. You want a big wall to stretch between us and them. Jesus tries to tear that wall down. You're starting to not like your new friend. He keeps criticizing your church and your president. He invited criminals to his house for dinner. He attended a gay wedding last week. He won't take off his mask, so how, no matter how many times you tell him it's okay. This Jesus may challenge your theology, as was the case between he and the Pharisees, which makes you uncomfortable and maybe even angry. You explain to him why women can't be pastors by pulling verses from Corinthians or Timothy and why being gay is repulsive and evil by pulling verses from Leviticus. All the while, Jesus has left your house and is instead setting up folding chairs around his dining room table. These chairs are for the women who have been shamed by you and your church, for the gay people who have been told they are gross sinners, for the black people who have been told their lives don't matter, for the immigrants who have been pushed out of your country, and for the peaceful protesters who model Jesus better than the church ever has, and for the homeless people who have been walked over and passed day after day. There is another chair there, and this one is for you, but your chair will remain empty. For you don't like this Jesus, and you don't like the people he associates with, just as you wouldn't have liked the Jesus that flipped the tables of money changers in the synagogues. He would have been too disruptive and too violent for you. You wouldn't have liked the Jesus who invited tax collectors over for dinner. Law and order, remember? You wouldn't have liked the Jesus who spoke the story of the Good Samaritan because you, if being honest, would not help a beat-up black man on the side of the road, or a beat-up Muslim, or a beat-up transgender woman, or a beat-up gay man, or a beat-up immigrant. You wouldn't like the Jesus who told you to give everything you have to the poor. You wouldn't like the Jesus who sat with the woman at the well, the woman that was labeled as impure, a sinner, and as a whore in her society. You wouldn't like her, so you probably wouldn't like the Jesus that sat with her. As Christians, we claim to love Jesus. We love the Jesus that loves us. But do we love the Jesus that loves others? And do we love the Jesus that calls us to love others? 
I just want to say real quick, that was not written out of a place of like arrogance or narcissism. I don't think I'm better than other people. I think that I might be further along in a journey, but I've been where other people have been in their journey. So that was not out of a place of like, I'm better than you. So here's this. That was out of a place of one, just like real raw emotion that I was feeling at the time. And two, like really check yourself, like check Mm -hmm. yourself. Would you befriend Jesus and continue that friendship if you were around him when he did the things that he did in the Bible, right? Would you? And that's a real question to ask yourself. The church always tells us to be more like Jesus. Do you even like Jesus? Because yeah. Yeah. Because one, I know one of those things with that, like you are, we've had a lot of talks about capitalism and socialism. And so that's a whole other thing. So I think it's like, who is this Jesus you're following? And I'm not saying, Oh, Jesus is a Democrat. Nope. That's not true. Um, I'm not trying to associate a middle Eastern Jesus with an American, um, political party. Right. But I am trying to associate Jesus with real social issues because that was Jesus's life was being involved in social issues. So so you're 18, Grace. Yes. You're going to be leaving home yeah. this fall. Looking back on your 18 years, what what would you tell your younger self, your middle school, high school <laughs> self? Um, I think this is, might sound a little cliche, but like it's better to just be real and surround yourself with a couple real people than it is to do all the right religious conservative things that will make all the right religious conservative people like you. Because if you do that, little Grace, you're missing out on so many people Mm -hmm. that will bless you, that will change your life, that will make you a better person. You will miss out on all your friends that are part of the LGBT community and the blessings and the lessons that they'll bring into your life. You'll miss out on being um, shown different cultures, different foods, different mindsets, different theology. You'll miss out on amazing conversations. You don't want to miss out on those things because you want some white conservative group of people to pat you on the back and tell you you said a good prayer. What advice would you have for your mom during those times of middle school and high school who made lots of mistakes? Um... That's hard because I'm not a mom, so I don't understand exactly how it feels to like have this child that you're supposed to mm-hmm. take care of. But I think that like it's okay to let your kid do things and be things and believe in things that you weren't and you didn't believe in. Yeah. Because like that's like the developmental years of your life. That's when you are growing and you are learning. So allow that growth and education to happen you know don't yeah. don't stop it by like boxes that you were told that you need to be in right. you know right and i didn't give you these questions in advance and actually yeah. <laughs> so no prep work prep work what is the best part about being my daughter and the worst part um i think the best part is that and this obviously came with age is that like i really genuinely feel like you are my best friend mm. and this isn't to be sappy <laughs> so don't, sappy. don't get sappy but like i don't know i feel like 
when I come home from class, it's like, I always am like looking around the house for you. Like, where's mom? I got to tell her about my day, you know? And that might've come from like not having social interaction okay, from here. It's okay. But, but I feel like you're funny. You're easy to talk to. You're smart. Aww. Like, I just like being around you. And I know a lot of my friends can't say that about their mom. And I wouldn't have said that at one point. Right. I mean, I think that's an evolution <laughs> you know? of my like faith and, and beliefs yeah. too. And the worst thing Maybe is I don't want to know. probably your, your cleanliness tendencies that really just Yeah, don't. I was going to say, like, you're all about being my friend until I ask you yeah. to clean your room or do your laundry. Well, yeah, no, that's the worst thing, though. I stand by that. Yeah. Okay, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Let's see, I'll be 28. Gracious. Oh, man, that's hard. I really want to live and work in Washington, D.C. I want to go out of college having some kind of like political internship at the Capitol. So yeah, I don't know exactly where, but I want to be like heavily immersed in the world of politics. And then what year will you be running for president that we can vote for you? <laughs> I remember my history teacher telling me, he's like, there's the more than 1% chance that you could be like Pete Buttigieg's like uh, vice president, like running mate. And I was like, okay. Um, okay. I don't know the math on that, but look out. Right, math look is out hard. For me. Math, I'm not gonna math, but okay. look out for me. Okay, you and Mayor P. I'll be there. Okay. I'll be there. Okay, we'll keep our eyes out for you. Yeah. I love you, Grace. I Thank you for too. sharing everything today. Thanks for and, having me. Um, we're in it for the long haul. <laughs> we are. I love you. Love you too.